Episode 217 of the Bevan James Isles Show, an interview with Lauren Ward. Radio team, welcome along to episode 217 of the Bevan James Isles Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime amount of exercise, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. I've got to say, I'm pretty pretty excited about today's interview, actually. It's a lady by the name of Lauren Ward. Now, she runs a, a, a triathlon training business with her partner in the UK called Passion Fit, and I do a triathlon podcast called I Am Talk, I've been doing it for years. And um, a few weeks ago, we had one of her athletes who did really well at a race over in the UK. Uh, I think she won her age group, or she, she, I'm pretty sure she won her age group. Oh, she did very well. Whatever she did, she absolutely smashed it. And we got on and we interviewed this athlete because she had had such a good performance. And as this athlete was speaking, it was really obvious that she was a part of a fitness community that she was extremely passionate about and she, you know she was she was talking about passion fit a lot but she was also talking about the kind of the framework that this this group were doing around how they help people grow uh, how they take um, try to make independent athletes how they help them meet performance and just whether I helping people focus on in trying to bring the best of themselves and evolve as a person and also you just got this big sense of this this group had a real sense of belonging and community around them. Now, if you've listened to the show for a long period of time, you know I am all about this. You know, that, that's what I fundamentally believe is that uh, actually our job is to try to create a world where we have communities around, as a fitness professional at least, our job is to create communities around ourselves. And uh, and the more localised we can get, the better, I think, actually. The more we can get involved with local communities. I know a lot of people are looking online nowadays, but I, I kind of feel the more localised we can get it, the more important it becomes because online training has a place, and it's not that I don't think online training is not valuable, but being with people real contact, real everyday stuff is really great. And uh, and so then Lauren actually contacted me and said, I'd love to come on the show for an interview. And I thought it'd be really great to get her on this podcast because the purpose of this interview wasn't necessarily to talk about triathlon training because this isn't a triathlon podcast. It was to get an insight in how to find a fitness professional who seems to have got it right. And I'll be honest, I've been writing my book, you know, my book's with the editor now, so it's kind of going through the process of getting ready for the market. And with the book, a big part of what I try to do is get people to find their local community around the movement they enjoy. And, you know, what I really want them to do is to find places like Passion Fit or Extra Mile Runners here in Christchurch. You know, like I, I want to find communities of fitness and and so the reason I wanted to get Lauren on was just to have a chat with somebody who's seemed to have created a pretty great fitness community in the area and just for you to get some insight into the kind of thinking that a fitness leader who creates those communities in those areas how they think you know what are they thinking about when they're trying to create this and and this interview is an interesting interview because we kind of just talk about the history a little bit but then we go into the philosophy around what they're trying to create within their world. And they've got some really clear kind of frameworks that they're working towards that are creating the place where they're creating the people like I interviewed a couple of weeks ago who are growing, passionate, evolving, you know, and all that really good stuff. And so I think you'll find this interview very interesting. And, and again, the purpose of me getting this interview on was to help you think about what kind of person I should be looking for when I'm choosing my fitness choices. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people's fitness choices just based on convenience and price. And convenience and price, convenience does make sense. I get convenience because it's like if I've got to drive an hour to exercise, there's less chance of me driving in five minutes. So I do get convenience, but I do think there's a point where convenience is less important. And I actually talk about this in my book. Like, if you can find a community that you feel belonging to, that you feel purpose to, that you feel passion with, that grows you and evolves you, and that's a 25-minute, 30-minute drive to get there in comparison to a gym that's just up the road but actually has none of that, to me, convenience is not the answer. 
you know, to me, the thing you want to find is that community, that identity, the belonging, the growth, the evolution. If you get that, the 30-minute drive is worth it because you're going to evolve and grow so much more than the convenience of going to a gym that's just up the road but doesn't provide any of that. And price. Price is a really interesting one as well because a lot of people make fitness decisions based around price. They just want the cheap option. But then that cheap option often does come with no service, does come with no quality. Um, if you want great results, sometimes you're just going to have to pay for it. And and to be honest, I think you should have to pay for it. You know, like fitness professionals who are great at what they do provide a great service. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with them charging a premium for their product. If they can make you change, well, that's a price worth paying. So, And I know I'm, I'm going to stick up for the fitness professionals here, but, you know, like if... if if you can find that community, it's, it's a great investment in your life. So I just wanted to check, get this interview on because I just kind of thought it was, it was, yeah, it was just a really good insight. And again, as I said before, ideally your job is to find people like this to help you on your journey. Now, before I get into the interview, I'm not going to talk about much. Oh, actually, we've just had, we've gone into lockdown in New Zealand. So New Zealand, we've kind of been the one of the role models of how to handle COVID. You know, first COVID hit, we locked our country down for about four or five weeks, got rid of the completely, and then pretty much for the last year, life has pretty much been normal. And I've got to be honest, it's been kind of cool, but kind of weird. Because for us, life's kind of gone on. Uh, but then you're seeing what's happening in the rest of the world, and it's it's kind of horrible. Uh, but at the same time, your life's going on. So it's a bit of a, just a funny situation. Um, but we have been hit with the COVID in the last few days. We've been locked down for about three days. It is the Delta variant, so it's obviously more extreme. Our government are very good at handling this, and they're taking some pretty bold decisions. I remember reading an article the other day, and it was like, New Zealand locks down the whole country after one case. And they were kind of shocked and dismayed that we we're doing that. But uh, luckily, we are a, a border-free country, so we can, well, you know, at least we're surrounded by water, so we can, kind of, we can kind of, it's easier for us to manage. We're a smaller country, and we've got a political system where one party can make a decision, which kind of helps. Um, so we've got many things that are working in our favour, but it is, it is uncertain times. And I have to admit, there's parts of this I have struggled with, and um, I have to work through my head around how do I manage this well and it's just you know I know we all hope this period of time moves on quickly um, but also how do we manage through this and so yeah just want to kind of share with you guys now I want to say a big thank you to the patrons of the show if you want to become a patron of the Bevan James Isles show all you need to do is go to bevanjamesisles.com click on patreon or support the show go to podcast support the show go through the patronage process basically Every time I release a show, you donate a little bit of your hard-earned money my way. And these are a few of the people who are patrons. Louisa um, Crosby, and she is the kitchen queen. Now, Louisa, I know you're actually training to do your first marathon. I've been speaking to her at the gym recently, and she's training to do her first marathon. She's always been a bit more of a weights girl with a bit of cardio on the side, but she's training to do the Queenstown Marathon. Uh, she says she's really enjoying it. It's a big challenge. She, she's pretty tough, so I'm pretty sure she'll get there. So good luck in the training, especially. I bet you're glad you're running now and not down. Um, Ella, boom, boom, pal, green. We've got Darren, the dangerous Busain. We've got Sarah, the Oracle Hill, and Scott Angus, or Scott ACDC Young, and David, the unstoppable Storm Hail. Uh, David's been going through some tough times, so David, I haven't spoken to you recently, so I hope you are getting along well. Anyway, here is the main gist of the show. Okay, team, so I'm pretty excited today to have a lady by the name of Lauren Ward. She owns a business called passionfit.co.uk, and uh, we actually, on my other podcast, we interviewed one of her athletes recently, and it was pretty obvious that uh, this athlete was passionate about triathlon, but also passionate about her community, and uh, I got in contact with Lauren and just having a talk about what they are doing that's making their community so strong as an A, helping people achieve results, but also the development of the person and that community. So welcome along to the show, Lauren. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And uh, yeah, really pleased to be on. So thanks for having me on. So first of all, maybe just give us an overview of what you do currently, because we're kind of yeah. going to get to the point where we got you here, but just maybe tell us, yeah. give us an overview. So uh, what we do currently, so um, I currently um, run the um, passion fit coaching uh, business and community so ultimately I guess it, it is a um, 
a coaching business and we primarily work with triathletes or not solely, but primarily work with triathletes. Um, but it's about so much more than that. It's a, uh, it's a community of athletes and um, we, I guess we have in the past certainly found that we found it quite hard to find a group or a club or, or a team that we've really felt um, it is created an environment or a culture that we've really been able to, to thrive in. So we've, we, we decided, I, I guess, uh, I kind of bugger it. Let's, let's, let's set up our own. Let's um, set up our own and set it up exactly as we think, um, you know, creates a, a place where people can, um, and thrive and really reach their, their full potential, whatever that might look like. So, um, so we work with athletes on a one-on-one basis. Um, and we also work with, I guess, a community of athletes as well that, um, where we provide group sessions and we provide, I guess, a, a place for them to, um, to achieve whatever their sense of accomplishment is and make them feel very much that it's okay that for, every athlete in the community that looks very different you know to some of them it might be that they want to become a um a, a, a Kona qualifier to some of them it might just be you know what I want to use exercise as a way to just enhance my well-being and um a, a healthy way to socialize and become a little bit fitter healthier enjoy life a little bit more um and no matter what their goal is um that, that, that that's okay it doesn't none of them they don't have to be kind of world beating goals all the time. Um, mm. So just really to provide a, a, a place where that's okay. Um, so, so and that they'll be supported. So you, you, you worked in fitness for a while. Um, yes. You know what? So when you think about setting up this business, because you, you sent me through some notes beforehand and you're saying how you both kind of found a passion for triathlon and then you realized there weren't yes. really many that good groups out there. So when you tell us a little bit about your history and, and then what philosophy did you want to build this community on? Yeah. So um, I guess, yeah, a little, a little bit of background about me. So I spent about 14 years working in the commercial fitness industry. So um, typically for commercial gyms, right from um, fitness coach or, or sort of fitness instructor to personal trainer to group exercise instructor um, to uh, gym management ultimately as well. Um and, and my husband, Tom, who also like, runs the, the community and the coaching business with me, comes from quite a different background. Um, his is more from, he spent, oh my goodness, how many years? 20 plus years in the finan in financial services and um, performance coaching, but in the corporate world, as opposed to necessarily in the sporting world. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he, he did have um, quite a sporting background as well, more not in triathlon, ironically, uh, before this point, it was in uh, hockey, um, both playing and coaching. Um, and then, yes, ultimately, um, I guess to, to cut a long story short, um, Tom and I got married in 2011 and then um, decided to go to Club La Santa in Lanzarote for our honeymoon, where we um, fancied giving a triathlon a go. We kind of saw it on the timetable and thought, right, well, let's give this a go um and, and loved it I mean I was horrendous I was terrible I was um I came last I was beaten by an eight-year-old boy um I, I was I was awful but I loved it I thought it was great fun it was something completely different um Tom was a little bit more naturally um sort of I suppose talented and quite good at it and we kind of got the bug for it he'd actually already been persuaded by my stepdad who had done several Ironmans in the past um to sign up for Ironman Lanzarote the, the following year in 2012. Um, so he'd already sort of started to think about it, but that was his first taste of it. So we'd already got into it um, and we started to yeah, look at kind of local clubs and things. And I guess what we found was, um, and I guess different cultures work for different people, but what we certainly found is, is often in, in some clubs, there was a little bit of a culture of, I think we went to a couple of um, like group bike rides or group chain gangs, things like that. And it was very, very much about um, you know who who could who was the fastest cyclist, and and on some occasions, um, you know who who could uh, cycle the fastest and, and and maybe show that they were perhaps the strongest cyclist of the group. Um, and uh, that, you know, certainly for me, that I, I wasn't overly comfortable with that because I, I wasn't as naturally talented. I'm, um, 
uh, I, I was a little bit of a beginner. Um, so we experimented with some different groups. And I guess the two extremes we, that we found were either that some groups could be a little bit, um, it was all about who could be the, who could be the fastest. And then the, the fastest people in the group would potentially be idolized a little bit as well. And then actually there were some groups, ironically, where um, it was all about the beginners, which was lovely, um, probably for me more so. Um, but then it meant those at the other end of the scale didn't get much sort of help or support either. Um, and ironically, sometimes there seemed to be some confusion with um, if someone's fast um, and let's say they're shy, so they came across a little bit quiet, but because they're fast, sometimes the perception is that they're arrogant. Whereas actually, if you're a beginner and quiet, the presumption is that you're shy, perhaps. Yeah. So we almost wanted to try and find that balance, I suppose, where it was the culture was uh, beneficial and value adding to both ends of the scale, to those that were beginners and those that were experienced um, and perhaps um, quite talented and quite fast. Um, and I guess we didn't want there to be that speed or ability didn't define you it wasn't whether you were a fast athlete or a slow athlete or whether you were experienced or not experienced that didn't really define you what defined you I suppose more or, or what defined the culture was um was more your your attitude your mindset and your behaviors rather than your speed or your physical ability um and uh, you know don't get me wrong I don't think these the groups that we'd experimented with I totally get it. It's it's how most of the world and, and society is nowadays. It's, you know, nothing negative really about those groups. It was uh, just that we recognised that that was what the world really was like nowadays. And we wanted to create something a little bit different. So hence why we set up um, Passion Fit. And the idea is it's much more about how the athletes behave, what their attitude and their mindset is. Um, than it is necessarily about their their physical ability or, or their experience level. That mm. that's what matters to us the most. So in regards to creating that, you know, because it's one thing to say it, but to, you know, to actually sit aside and so when you sit down to start to design what you guys are going to do, yeah, what kind of things were you thinking with the framework you're going to do that around? Well, I guess this is where um, <clears throat> I guess if I kind of take a step back um it's, it's a, yeah it's a great question because it took us a long time to, to figure it out um we sort of recognized that we wanted something different but we weren't quite sure at first how what does that look like and how like you said do we define um yeah what what that looks like and how that's different to the current um kind of athletes or, or groups out there and I guess to take it back a step so I sort of explained that obviously my background was in um, the kind of commercial fitness industry Tom's was both in some elite level sport and the corporate industry and what we'd noticed really across all three of those industries or all three of those worlds were there were always people that we sort of saw as highly accomplished and people that perhaps in whatever form that might be the sporting world or in their kind of academic or or um or career were yet yeah, some were very highly accomplished and some didn't seem to um perform um very highly relative to their what we'd sort of deemed as their potential um, so we really sat down and we thought right okay well across all of these three um kind of worlds we saw there seemed to be some really common trends between uh, the behaviors um, and the attitudes and the mindsets that all of those that we deem to be highly accomplished displayed versus those that didn't seem to be. Um, and, and what we did is really we sat down and tried to put all of that together. And, OK, what were those, like I say, what were those really common trends, of all those behaviours that we um, that we witnessed? Um, and I, I guess effectively almost tried to reverse engineer it. What are all of those common things that we saw that seemed to really work? And what were all of those things that we saw that seemed to be common in those that didn't seem to, I guess, for want of a better word, perform very highly relative to their potential. Um, and that's really how we came up with, OK, that's what we're going to base, I guess, passion fit on and the um, and, and what will work with our athletes on above all else, because actually we recognize that 
if people get these key things right, it will lead to a much more accomplished journey. Um, and you might notice, I guess, some of the terminology that I use, I'm quite careful about the terminology that I use. I use the word um, accomplished rather than successful because what I don't want to be confused is that, um, it, you know, I guess it quite commonly can be um, misunderstood in more the corporate world and potentially sporting world as well. But the, the word successful nowadays seems to be very linked to people that... Um, perhaps have a very high profile or very high power job or earn a lot of money um, or yeah, ha have, you know, a, a very sort of a prominent status or, um, you know, have an expensive car, big house, that kind of thing. And that's not what success means to me, but that is, it seems to be very commonly the case nowadays is that the word success is linked to those things. Whereas, we prefer to use the word accomplishment because for me, that's, that's not what success is, but I feel like I've got to use a different word so that it's, that, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's obvious that what I'm talking about is different. Um, so it's, uh, so, so yeah, sorry. Like I say, we, we use the word accomplishment because, and, and we use um, uh, people's accomplishment against their potential because we also recognize that again sporting world is, is an easy example to use that everyone's potential is is different you know in the sporting world their physiology is going to play a, a large part of it um so we'll only ever i guess um uh measure our athletes accomplishment based on what we believe to be their potential and of course we'll gather that information through talking to them through training etc and did you so you you said uh so does your framework you work around with this you know like as you're kind of saying that you wanted to develop a bit of a pathway towards the ultimate potential or the at least accomplishments of a potential uh and you've got to figure out where they are on that scale and so what's the kind of framework you work yeah. around with this so we use um so what we established was um that there were four core what we call or what we refer to as four core accomplishment behaviors and two critical coachability behaviors so essentially what we realized when we sort of observed all these people and um we saw these common trends what we realized is across all of them that we deemed to be highly accomplished they were always displaying the same four core accomplishment behaviors and two critical coachability behaviors um there were other behaviors that they would display as well that are also really important but I guess those were the six that we saw as always being there. Um, if they displayed those, um, the outcomes were almost looking after themselves, if that makes sense. So what we've then established is that when we work with our athletes, what we almost um, work with them on are those four um, core accomplishment behaviours and two critical coachability behaviours, because um, if we work on those, then the result is that their performance tends to take a huge uplift, that their outcomes end up looking after themselves and that the, um, I guess, the objective measures that we'll often use in the sporting world, like time for, um, you know, uh, sort of runs and, and triathlons and, and whatnot, um, would end up improving. So, <clears throat> uh, so that, that's what we base it on. We, we work with our athletes primarily of course, the training plan is important. And of course, to a certain extent, um, obviously that's important. But I guess once you get to a certain point and a certain level, we certainly believe that actually, if we look after those things and we work with our athletes on developing those behaviors, those four behaviors, um, or those four accomplishment behaviors and two coachability behaviors, then their, their outcomes and their performance will start to look after themselves. And what are those behaviors and, and the accomplishment behaviors? I I figured that might be your next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, four core accomplishment behaviours. The, the first one is goal setting. Um, so we certainly established that actually lots of people are, are good at, I say good at, can set goals, but um, we've often found that they're not necessarily um, goals that have been well thought out or individualised to them. You know, I, I'm sure you all have, uh, had you know coached athletes in the past that come to you and you, you you talk to them and you ask them what their goals are and they'll say um 
you know, really common one is uh, I want to go sub 12 um, on, a, on an Ironman event. And often I'll ask, well, why? Um, and they can't necessarily explain to me why. Or it might just be because they're, 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 you know, that's what their friend did or, um, or that's what someone's told them would be a, a good time. Mm. Um, so the goal setting piece is really, really important. And um, quite often in the past, we, you know, again, in the corporate world and in the fitness industry, we've used SMART goals. Um, you know, uh, and, and and most people are familiar with that with that acronym. Um, but we felt that smart goals was was um, it was lacking something, and um, there probably needed to be even more detail to it to make sure that it was, um, I guess, the start point of their journey. Which it, you know, the, the goal is normally the very the very starting point. That starting point was absolutely. Um, on point otherwise everything else seemed to fall apart if the goal setting in the first place wasn't right um so for for months actually my husband tom was was racking his brain um because he he's kind of i guess a, a bit of the the mastermind behind a lot of the, the concepts that we work with he's he's got a very kind of conceptual and and um creative mind so he was like, I, I, you know i, I want to find this kind of improved version of, of smart and in the end, we realized that actually it had been kind of staring us in the face for, for months. We had already been using the word um, ipsative a lot with our, with our athletes. And it might be a word that a lot of people aren't familiar with. I think it sort of uh, stems really from the um, education uh, kind of background or education world. And to measure someone ipsatively would be measuring them based on their start point and their potential rather than relative to others. Um, and we suddenly realized that actually the word ipsative created the perfect acronym for what we believed was a, a perfect uh, goal setting template. So um, I being for individualized. So making sure that actually the goal was was their goal, not a goal that they thought that they should have or uh, thought it might be what their coach might want to hear or their friends doing. It's individualized to them and it means something to them. Um, so, uh, and it was precise as well, I guess, you know, similar to specific in, in, in SMART. It was precise. It was, um, there's no gray area with it. It was, yes, you either have achieved it or you haven't. So it was, it was precise. It was suitable for them as well. Um, you know, I, I suppose, you know, if their, their love was in, was in triathlon, then it was, it was suitable to um, what they want their lifestyle to look like um, and what their lifestyle is. It was either... Um, attainable or aspirational so um, we realized that some athletes quite like to set goals that we call attainable or maybe slightly safer goals you know they're, they're quite you know they know it might be a bit of a challenge but they're quite confident they can achieve it whereas some might like more aspirational goals you know the goal might just be actually a little bit out of reach but they want to go for it anyway and um, and understand that it's yeah it might be kind of a um, yeah, more aspirational, a bit, bit more of a stretch. So the goal should be either at least attainable um, or, or aspirational is okay as well. Um, and it should be trackable. Um, it should be, again, be able to say whether you achieved it or not. Um, and uh, you should be at least able to influence the goal. So what we mean by that is, um, uh, I guess things are either controllable, uncontrollable, or influenceable so we can um control your form we can't control <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah um and you can't control you can't control the weather um yeah. but you can control you know whether you take a, a an umbrella out with you um but the, the goal should you should at least be able to influence it yeah. um even if you can't ideally fully control it if you can't fully control it i guess in a race for example you can't control who else is going to be there yeah. um how the other athletes perform but you can at least influence it you can um prepare to the best of your ability and know that actually if everything goes to plan you know an outcome might look a certain way um so you should at least be able to influence it and then i guess the other bits that don't necessarily fall into smart previously is it should be value adding um so the goal should add value to either your life or those around you mm. um and I guess that's what sometimes um, we have found in the past is sometimes missing from some people's goals. They 
might like the idea of a goal, but actually the journey to get there can become quite frustrating, quite damaging um, to either them or to those around them. Mm. So we always like to kind of check in, you know, go through this checklist with our athletes when they create their goal is, is it going to be value adding to you, your lifestyle and those around you as well? And then the last one, it's, it, it should be exciting. You know, if it doesn't excite the athlete or, or the person, then the danger is, are they going to be motivated to, um, uh, you know, to follow through with everything that would be needed to achieve the goal? So it's, it's got to excite them. So we came up with this IPSTIVE acronym. And, and if an athlete's goal kind of ticked all of those boxes, um, then we deem that a really good start in place. Um, that was a nice, clear goal um, that should then lead to um, making, if the goal is correct in the first place, the journey to follow should then um, be a little bit simpler and should lead to less frustration and things like that. The second, which goes in quite nicely with it, is um, their commitment continuum placement. So I think Lydia mentioned this briefly on um, when, when she spoke to you guys before, and um, what we then check in is okay with the athlete. They, you've got your goal now. So how, how committed are you to that goal? And I don't know whether, you know, people listening will be very familiar with the commitment continuum, but effectively it's, it's stages of how committed to a goal that you are from not committed at all, um, completely reluctant and, 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 and don't buy into the goal at all, um, to compelled, which would be, I, I guess, the the, the perfect place for a, an athlete to sit it, it, compelled is kind of that place where I'll do anything it takes to to achieve the goal but obviously then the other side of that is is obsessed which um often I guess we we end up seeing sometimes in athletes that become overtrained um injured sometimes if they um, aren't sure you know they've become perhaps a little bit too obsessed with the goal and aren't sure when to take the rest and, and uh, take a step back and whatnot. Um, so we talked to the athlete about where they would place themselves in the commitment continuum. Um, and ultimately we need them to either be committed or compelled. Otherwise, if they think, no, actually maybe I'm sitting more at, um, you know, uh, reluctant or, um, or, or like I say, not at committed or compelled, then, we might need to revisit the goal because if they don't sit there, mm -hmm. then they're not really committed to the goal. Then why is it a goal in the first place? We might need to take a step back. And one of those boxes perhaps wasn't ticked correctly. Is it individualized or is it a goal you think you should have, but you don't really want to do? Yeah. So they're the first two really big steps that we, we take with an athlete is we go through that goal setting process and then we work out where they are on the commitment continuum. Um, and those two things have to be aligned. Um, and sometimes there's a bit of back and forth between the, the, the goal and the commitment continuum until we find that perfect balance of brilliant. There's the goal and you're fully committed or, or, or compelled to it. Uh, fantastic. Um, so they're the first two. They're the first two that we um, go, go through. Um, <clears throat> and then the third is the control the controllables. Um, so we've got, goal setting, commitment continuum, and then uh, control the controllables. So with control the controllables, we try to um, help the athlete understand that in order to achieve that goal, that means they need to control everything that they can that's going to lead um, to, I guess, them achieving the goal. So a, a really simple example might be, um, you know, I think lots of the athletes that we've coached in the past probably don't get enough sleep. It's probably quite a common one. Um, but in theory, that should be um, controllable. Yeah. For, for lots of them, it might, not, it might not be controllable what time they, they get up in the morning. They may have to get up at a certain time because they've got to be at work at a certain time, got to get the kids out of bed, get them to school, whatever. But therefore, what they can control is what time they go to bed. Um, so that they can control how much, how much sleep they get. Um, they might not be able to fully control the quality of sleep they get, but they can control things like, you know, making sure they've got an open window, so they've got fresh air, making sure that they don't um, have too much screen time immediately before bed, 
um, what, you know, not having caffeine, etc. So it's helping to teach them understand um, that they do have full control over much more than perhaps either they realize or perhaps and we often see from from athletes getting things wrong and it's teaching them to control or controllables and not to worry really about the things that you can't control and to try and get that balance um so it's educating them on 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 the control the controllables um and, and quite often just by pointing that out to them and just talking to them about the concept is enough they, they suddenly realise, oh, actually, yeah, I, I do have a lot more control of that than I first thought. And then the fourth one um, is prioritisation. We call it the, the four Ds, although we've actually just extended it to the five Ds, which I'll explain in a moment. Um, <clears throat> but everything that you do through the day should fall into one of four boxes, either um, do, delay, delegate or dump. So if it's a really important job and it's got to be done by you, then fine, it goes in, in your do box. Um, if it's perhaps um, quite an important job, but it could be done by someone else and you could recruit someone else's help for it, you pop it in the, the delegate box. If it needs to be done at some point, but perhaps not, not urgently today, then you put it in delay. And if it's not an important job at all, um, then it, you just, just dump it, just get rid of it. Um, and we recently um, kind of bought in a 50, which we call the, the diddlies, which are like the jobs that take like 30 seconds, but we all procrastinate on, never do. And then it becomes like a two hour job. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. Um, you know, I think a really common one is um, Tom's really uh, meticulous about how clean our car is kept. So if one piece of rubbish gets left in there, it's like, oh my God, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, so is there a problem in the relationship? <laughs> <laughs> so, but he always says, come on. He's like, it's a diddly. It's a diddly. He's like, if you, and you know, every time we get out of the car, if we make sure we take all the rubbish with us, even if it's like one thing, um, then we never get to that stage where we've got to take two hours cleaning up the car and, you know, and, and whatnot. And every time we get out, you know, if the dog's been in it, and give it a wipe takes 30 seconds rather than like I say letting it build up so we've now just developed it into the, the five d's um so it's, it's time prioritization and I guess a, a really common one is things like um so you know using the sleep example earlier how many of you know the athletes in the past have sort of had conversations with me about the fact they'd like to get a little bit more sleep and then I talked to them about okay we'll talk me through what your routine looks like perhaps when you get home from work during your training what does it look like and you know lots of times they might have prioritized maybe watching one more episode on that Netflix like box set that they were watching rather than go to sleep an hour earlier um so it's helping them understand actually you know if if you really want to achieve that goal then your prioritization has to be on point as well has to be in line with that goal I guess. Um, and the big thing for us is, is the athletes understanding that those four behaviours, if they get those four things right and those four things are in line with each other, so their prioritisation is based around their goal, their commitment continuum placement is appropriate for their goal or their goal allows them, I suppose, to be at the right place in the commitment continuum. Um, and they're controlling all the things that they can control, then... Um, then we see the athletes almost always when they have those things on point almost always achieve their goals when we see athletes not achieve them it's normally because one of those four one or more of those four behaviors are falling out of sync all the time um and i guess normally it's not just one normally it's if one falls out of sync normally that leads to a knock-on effect to the others as well so they're the four core accomplishment behaviors they're really simple but um we, we've certainly found yeah, if people get those right then it leads to a very accomplished um journey yeah great and, and you see there are two performance or what were that was the, the two that the two uh critical coachability behaviors yeah. we call them yeah <clears throat> so then on top of those um yeah we, we we call them the two critical coachability behaviors so these are um also what we believe to be uh, extremely important in them in having this journey the first being what we call transactional analysis. So whether they're self-coached or whether they have a coach, something that is always important 
is their communication with their coach or, or sounds a bit strange to say, but almost their communication with themselves. Mm. Their, their kind of inner di- yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess as we, we talk about with our athletes, there being kind of three um, transactional states. Um, the preference is always for the transactions, the, the communication between the uh, individual and the coach to be adult to adult. So it's always an adult conversation. So, for example, if a coach is delivering some constructive um, feedback, that the athlete takes it in, in an adult way. Um, and, and we try and make sure that neither the coach or the athlete ever fall into what we kind of call a, a child or a parent state. So a parent state could be, um, you know, perhaps a, a little bit too tell-do. So telling the athlete what to do all the time rather than it being a discussion and allowing the athlete to have input on that. So it, it not being too controlling, um, but equally it not to be too nurturing either, because actually, if you know, I want of a better word, if you babysit the athlete all the time, we never help them uh, like learn and educate mm, and, yeah. and make decisions. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we don't, but we also don't want to control them either because it's their, obviously it's their journey, not ours. Mm. Um, so we make sure that the coach never falls into a parent state, but also that the athlete never falls into what we call it a child state either. Um, where they're perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps not receiving feedback well. Um, and we recognize that actually if the athlete falls into a child state that can encourage the coach to fall into a parent state or, or vice versa yeah, yeah. um so it's making sure and again just normally by making the athletes aware of this they, they it makes them stay an adult because they recognize immediately if okay i can see I've, I've fallen into a state of mind that um may not be uh you know constructive so um or effective so uh yeah, we're, we're really honest with our athletes that we, we always want to stay in that kind of adult to adult communication style. Um, so, um, so that's the first one. And the second is what we call the support direction matrix. So um, if any athlete at any point was to plot themselves on a graph, where would they plot themselves if you had one axis as the amount of support they needed um, from their coach? And uh, if the other axis was the amount of direction they might need. Um, so support perhaps being, um, I guess, often sometimes like emotional support, um, uh, sometimes a little bit more around um, how, to, how to deal with things, how to do things. And the direction might be quite literally what to do um, mm. or how to do something. Um, and of course, that's going to change massively through an athlete's journey. Of course, there's going to be periods of time where they require much more support or much more direction than other times. Um, and obviously, beginners are, are likely to be slightly higher on that scale, um, although not always, um, than the more uh, advanced athletes. But again, by making the athletes aware of this um, and almost giving them the goal of always trying to keep themselves as low down on that matrix as they possibly can, means that the, the less, I guess, support and direction a coach has to give them, the more we can start to work with them on the next advanced yeah. step, on the next levels, thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess every time we take them up a level, we'd expect them to go higher on that graph because it's something new that they're having to learn, something new they've got to understand. But then almost once we've taken them there, it's the goal is to try and then bring them back down again to as low as they possibly can so that we can then go on to the next thing. Um, and the athletes that do that really well are the ones that um, yeah, become extremely um, advanced, knowledgeable. The more knowledgeable, uh, the more they understand their sport, um, the, uh, the easier they are, are to work with. Um, and like I say, the more advanced concepts we can then go on to with them that we, we, we feel have, have a huge impact. So their communication style and their support, the amount of support and direction they need are also the two, what we believe, critical coachability behaviours. Um, so between those and the four accomplishment behaviours, when they have those six things on point, um, <clears throat> regardless of what their um, performance looks like relative to others, they are usually the athletes that perform 
really highly versus their individual potential and tend to feel the most accomplished, the most happy with their journey as well, which I guess arguably is the, the most important thing, but certainly it's to me, which um, Tom often takes the mick out of me because I'm, I'm quite um, uh, what we call quite green. Yeah. Um, have you ever done you sort of a scene insight personality colors before? Yeah. yeah. So I'm quite, I'm quite green, quite green, yellow, and Tom's quite red. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting because um, our different personalities work quite well, ironically, across the athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a really awesome framework. It's one thing I'm, I'm, I'm curious, because I'm kind of only got like another 10 minutes to talk, so maybe I could talk to you forever. Yeah. But um, wh- one thing I'm curious about is what do you guys do to create great community? Well, it, yeah, great question. And actually, um, there, is, is, uh, there is actually a little bit of a framework that we use for this. And it's a concept um, that people may well have, have heard of before. Um, it's self-determination theory. So we, we try and focus on three key things with, with all of our athletes, um, on three key things with, with all of our athletes. Um, one is, um, I get it, you, you may have heard of it before, um, autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So we try and create in, in all of our athletes in the community, um, like autonomy. So they have, um, they have input in their, their training. They have, um, it's not just dictated by us. They, they actually have some input in the decision-making process and what training they do, when they do it, who they do it with, so they can train with each other. And therefore we, um, we have to therefore create competence in them as well. Yep. So we try to educate them and, and help them understand, um, uh, how to make those decisions i guess um and then the third thing is is the togetherness piece so we we could try and create an environment where they all have i suppose a a similar they'll all have different goals but um they all have a sense of wanting to support each other achieve those goals um all understand they all have um some autonomy they um, are all trying to develop their competence so that they can use each other to do that as well as us. So we encourage them to train together a lot. Um, so that might be athletes, not just us with our athletes, but uh, our group of coached athletes, those that are local, will encourage them to train together a lot so that they can develop that in each other. Um, and we recognize that feeling part of something can be hugely motivating. Actually, this can be quite a lonely sport in lots of ways. Um, lots of people's training can be very, very solo um spent hours on their own and we recognize it can be a very lonely sport so the more that we can bring people together to share the experiences together not just in their training but in racing um it seems to be um quite a large part of people's motivation so on a monday morning uh, monday wednesday friday morning we do um a uh, sort of 6 a.m group bike session like virtually via like zwift and, and discord um, and almost all of our guys are on it every single week. Um, you know, some of them do not have to be up at that time. They could, you know, they could well train later, but they do it because they recognize that by being on the session isn't only motivating for them, of course, because it's kind of, you don't want to let others down. You, you know, it's often more enjoyable if you, if you do it with others, but also um, they recognize that them being on it is also motivating for the others as well. Mm-hmm. So the more people there are, the, the um i guess the the more sense of them being part of something helping support each other um so we try and really encourage the guys to recognize that they are part of something and they um not only do we obviously want to support their journey but when they come into passion fit we don't just support their journey they support everyone else in the community's journey as well mm. so it's it's very much an understanding that yeah if you come into the community you um it you don't just take from it you give to it as well yeah. and and that give can be literally just being present you know just being around because mm. that is enough for a lot of people so it's very much a a two-way process i suppose is is that very much the way we see it and the way that we explain it to people mm. and so there's a kind of responsibility but also the the reward yes yeah. absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. 
and then if in, if everyone is is that way in that they want to give as well as obviously take then um it becomes a really rewarding um community for for everyone to be in um and again we we sort of we don't mind what people's goals are and we recognize that they're all going to be so completely different and there's going to be a huge bandwidth of what that's going to look like but the thing that we ask from our athletes is that um no, no matter what you know when they set those goals they um they'll do their best to achieve them because mm-hmm. they set a great example to each other then as well yeah. um it's kind of creates a culture and, and, of we, we, we're working to improve it uh, each individual into the this yeah yeah. yeah very much and we, oh sorry you go no you go. I, yeah sorry I was just going to say then I guess we um we try to create a culture where if if Tom or I were to step back from and, and let's say we said you know guys you've got to kind of look after yourselves for a couple of weeks we would want um the culture to be self, self-sustainable you know if we walked away um I guess that I think the, the definition really of culture is everyone knows how to behave without actually being told how to behave and that's almost what we want to create is that it becomes the norm for them to support each other mm. um just is there anything else that you you discovered that really helps create belonging oh, yeah, okay. mm. I think um certainly something that I've a, observed is um when the athletes feel comfortable to be completely open and honest with each other and usually the biggest thing that that um, is normally about is their their why so when they set a goal we normally try and kind of dig a little deeper and find out why they want that goal in the first place um and I guess it's like, uh, like kids say, don't they? they? They kind of ask the question, why, why, why? Yeah, kind of yeah. five or six times. And there's the, you know, the common um, understanding of, you know, uh, ask why five or six times um, to really dig down and really get an understanding of why someone's got that goal. What, what led to it in the first place? Because it's not normally the first thing they say, you know, when they say, I yeah. want to get fitter or whatever. Yeah. It's normally something much, much deeper. And it's when athletes really feel they can be comfortable and open and honest to share that, not just with us as coaches, but with each other in the community. Mm-hmm. I think they often realise that lots of them have much more in common than they perhaps first realised. Yeah. Um, and that that creates some lovely bonds um, and an, an even bigger desire for them to then support each other because they can relate perhaps much more than it might seem on the surface. Mm. Um so I, I try and encourage the guys to, um, I guess, communicate with each other just as much as, as they do with us. And I'll often send my athletes off to go and talk to one of my other athletes when they have a question or, or a problem, um, because I know that particular athlete has also had to overcome it. Um, so, it, yeah, it's trying to yeah, encourage them to be completely open and honest. Um, and that seems to create, um, yeah, some, some lovely bonds between them. And us. So, so it's creating an environment where people are free to express to higher levels is really what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And, and the expression of the higher level then creates a deeper bond between that community and then, yeah. Very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah massively. Yeah, awesome. Um, just, just uh, like, unfortunately, I only have like five minutes, but... Um, yeah, no problem. Just what would you say to someone who's not exercising in mm-hmm. regards to getting into exercise? Um, I would say, uh, like... I think I totally understand that um, it, it probably seems like a, like a mountain to climb. Um, if you're, you're not exercising at all at the moment, um, and a lot of the feelings that person is probably experiencing is probably much more common than they might realise. And actually, I was thinking about this example the other day is um, if uh, when someone brand new ever came to one of my group exercise classes, they would always come and they would say, I am so nervous. I'm going to go somewhere at the back. Um, you know, I, I'm sure everyone else has been here loads before and really experienced and, and doesn't feel nervous or whatever. And that person always thinks they're the only person that feels mm-hmm. like that. Um, and, and they're probably not. And um, <clears throat> so I, I can't recommend obviously exercising enough for not just for their physical health, but for their, for their mental health as well. Um, it's, you know, 
I don't know if I've ever had um, an athlete that didn't feel like doing a session. And that doesn't have to be like a, an hour hard interval session. I mean, that could just be going out for a walk for an hour, taking the dog for a walk, um, riding your bike. But I don't think I've ever known anyone to come back from that session, not wanting to do it, but making themselves do it and saying, oh, I wish I didn't bother. They, they always are glad they've done it. They've always, always pleased they've done it. They always feel better for doing it. Um, and, and a saying we often use in, uh, in Passion Fit is, is trust and courage. So for most people, they probably understand that exercise is the right thing to do in terms of improving our physical health and improving our mental health. But most people, you know, I guess if they're not in the habit of doing it, it can feel quite daunting. It can feel quite scary and they might not know what to do, but they normally understand that it is a beneficial thing to do. So what I would say is perhaps to take that phrase away is that trust and courage, trust that the process of, um, of exercising will make them feel better and then have the courage to go for it. Um, you know, I think often people um, perhaps wait for a feeling of, of belief or, or guarantee that it will definitely take them to a particular place, whether it be physically or mentally. Um, and sometimes people can't give them those, those guarantees. So you might not feel um, belief, but what, you may f- what, what we would ask you to feel is trust the process and have the courage to go for it um, anyway. So um, I, I, honestly, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I think, um, and, and, and don't try, don't think that you suddenly have to go out and be running 10 K's yeah. half marathons, just get out. For, yeah. yeah. Take, take the dog for a walk for 20 minutes, twice a week, build it three times a week, four times a week. Well, hopefully mm-hmm. if you've got a dog, it'll go out daily, but, um, you know, uh, take, take a friend's dog and start small and set yourself very small little incremental goals. Good stuff. Hey, if people want to follow you uh, or if they want to get in contact with you, where would they go? Uh, so we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram um, as Passion Fit Coaching and we have um, a website as well. Um, we have got a YouTube channel and we'll usually post those links on our Facebook page. Um, and it's normally about this, this type of content, you know, helping people to understand what we believe really matters and really makes the difference rather than necessarily getting caught up about comparing themselves to others um, or kind of arbitrary number goals. It's, it's about them, their journey and and how to stay focused on that. Well, I love what you're doing. Um, I wanted to get you on the show because I just kind of, you know, like, again, this wasn't so much about triathlon today. It's kind of like how you grow and develop people and community and all those types of things. And it's pretty obvious you guys put a lot of thought and energy and creating this and it's, it's showing in the work that you're doing for your people. So you should be bloody proud of the work you're doing and uh the world needs Thanks more so fitness leaders like you guys because <laughs> you know like i was telling you before the show that i'm writing my book that i've just finished writing yeah um which is about getting non-exercisers to love exercise one of the key components is to find you a post like yours is to find a community that has leaders who know how to nurture and grow people in really safe and wise ways and uh you know god if you're listening to this and you're trying to find a fitness community you need something like this in your life so keep up the good work it's bloody awesome thanks so much bevan thanks thanks for coming on the show mate you rock Right, our team hopefully you enjoyed that interview there as you can see as i was saying before the show you can see that lauren and her partner have spent a lot of time thinking about how they help people grow and they've got good frameworks they've got community they've got they come from the right place, you know, it's all that good stuff. And and again, as I said earlier, the reason I want to get you on is to, for you to think about the kind of fitness professionals you're bringing into your life. You know, what communities are they creating? What kind of leadership do they provide? Because if you can get that part of the puzzle right, man, you're going to be successful. And as I said earlier, in my book, that's a big part of the, one of the journeys of the book is each, basically what I've done with the book is each chapter kind of has a lesson, but there's also a challenge because I want them to have experiences and the challenge kind of builds their growth along the way. But one of the challenges is to find your fitness community because I guarantee if I can help people find a fitness community around a movement they enjoy, their chances of having exercise for the long term go massively through the roof. So, um, and I'm pretty sure... Lauren and uh, her man have 
done their depression fit. So yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway, uh, that's pretty much today's show done and dusted. Just a couple of little things to plug here. First of all, if you enjoy the show, can you please put feedback on your podcatcher? Uh, just give a review. It just helps to get the boosted. Uh, also, if you want to get show emailed to you, go to my website. If you want to get my Keep Active with Bevan's, I email those out every Sunday night. Go to keepactivebevan.co.nz and it, you can just get that email to you. Or I release it on Instagram and Facebook each week as well. So if you're not follow, following me on those platforms, you can do that. And then uh, other than that, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to Bevan James Isles support or podcast, support me and support me in what I do on the show. I'll be back in a couple of weeks from now. I've got a Bevan show coming up, which I've, I'm going to do tomorrow actually because I'm trying to, in lockdown, I'm trying to get a bit ahead of my work. So I'm trying to do it tomorrow, but I've got a Bevan show, which I think um, could be quite fascinating. So I'm going to tease you with that right now. Anyway, as always, keep being you and I'll see you in a couple of weeks.